Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures again with us as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that Luther developed what is called a canon within the canon. In other words, he set up a standard by which he assessed the value of the different books of the New Testament. Now, Luther's conclusion was that certain books were more important than others. He didn't think that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were as important as Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. And incidentally, he thought the book of Revelation was of very little value indeed. Did you know that numbers of the Reformers did not prize the book of Revelation of supreme value? Luther also said that the book of James was an epistle of straw. Now, his reason for saying that was that he didn't find in it the doctrine of justification by faith. Now, it's quite understandable that Luther, in reacting to some of the abuses of the church of his day, would find liberation in the doctrine of justification by faith. But it's strange that Luther would then find James to be incompatible. Can one, in fact, make such distinctions between the value of the books of the New Testament is it right to say that there's less gospel in Matthew, Mark, and Luke than in Romans? Here are the actual words of Luther in regard to his preference for certain books. Therefore, said Luther, St. Paul's epistles are more a gospel than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not set down much more than the works and miracles of Christ. But the grace which we receive through Christ no one so boldly extols as St. Paul, especially in his letter to the Romans. End of quotation. Now, I want to suggest that that's something of a theological disaster, and it's had enormous repercussions on the way we read the Bible ever since. I would propose that the gospel is contained in the words of Jesus. Jesus was the great herald of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is in the teaching of Jesus that the foundation of Christianity is laid. It doesn't begin with Paul. The Christian faith was not initiated by Paul. It was founded by Jesus, and Jesus preached the saving gospel. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said that he came to save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. And in the famous parable of the soils in Luke 8:12, Jesus remarked, that when anybody hears Jesus' gospel about the kingdom of God, the devil is there to snatch away what is sown in his heart so that he cannot believe the gospel about the kingdom and be saved. Now, what could be clearer than that? Isn't that absolute proof that from Jesus' point of view, intelligent reception of the gospel about the kingdom of God as it came from the lips of Jesus is the absolute essential for embarking on the road that leads to immortality, that leads to salvation. Let me read you that text again, Luke 8:12, because there Jesus provided a brilliant insight, a brilliant commentary on what the devil is trying to do. And in seeing what the devil is doing, we're able to discern what Jesus is doing in the opposite direction. Jesus said that when anybody hears the message about the kingdom, the gospel message as Jesus preached it, what Luke calls in his report the Word of God, what Matthew in Matthew 13:19 calls the message of the kingdom, 
when the devil sees that someone is about to grasp the message or gospel about the kingdom, he is there trying to snatch away that message from the heart of the person, so that that person may not receive the message in his heart, may not grasp the idea and be saved. Jesus, you see, knew that the battle for the minds of men is in the world of ideas. It is concepts and ideas which drive us in our various directions. And Jesus came bearing a concept, an idea, a master thesis, if you like, an idea in which the genius of Christianity is concentrated. And that idea was the gospel about the kingdom of God. Now, it might seem strange that we would have to emphasize this fact so often, but if you will examine it for yourself, you'll find that there's an extraordinary lack of clear teaching about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Walk into a Christian bookstore sometime and have a look at some of the tracts offering salvation. I can almost guarantee you that there will be no mention of the gospel of the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it. Instead, there will be isolated texts from the book of Romans and possibly from the book of John. But the extraordinary thing is that John is the most insistent on the need to receive the word or message or gospel of Jesus. John emphasizes over and over again that it's through meeting the words of Jesus that we meet Jesus himself. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has the life of the coming age is a typical statement of Jesus as recorded by John. But tracts tend not to make anything of this extraordinarily heavy emphasis in the Bible on the message of Jesus Christ himself. Now, if one examines only isolated texts from the book of Romans, one may not get a clear idea of the gospel at all. After all, the epistles of Paul are commentary on the gospel. Paul was writing to people who already knew what the gospel was. They had had the gospel preached to them at first level, the epistles are second-level communication. It's essential, therefore, to go to the original preaching of Jesus as he addressed his audiences with a view to getting them to receive the gospel of the kingdom for salvation. Once again, that text in Luke 8, verse 12, is most illuminating. The devil is busy trying to snatch away the gospel of the kingdom of God so that it may not take root in the heart of the potential believer and initiate the saving process in his life. Luke 8.12 tells us with the utmost clarity that the essential saving message of the kingdom must take root in our hearts if we are to follow Jesus closely and embark upon the path that leads to immortality in the kingdom. We've been pointing out that Luther's approach to the Bible actually avoids the preaching of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luther chose to specialize in the book of Romans. He said that there was much less gospel in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, is that kind of distinction between the books in any way biblical? Well, we think not. It was quite unjustified for Luther to say, for example, that the book of James is an epistle of straw. The reason for Luther's judgment, negative judgment on the epistle of James, was that he didn't think he could find grace there. He thought that grace was found only in Romans, and especially also in Ephesians and Galatians. But does that not, in fact, amount to an extraordinary misunderstanding on the part of Luther? Now, I'm certainly not the first one to raise this question, 
listen to this commentator on the life of Luther. Luther's virtual canon, says this writer, consisted of three of Paul's epistles, which were supposed to form the central core of Luther's gospel, Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. Now to these, Luther added John, 1 John, 1 Peter, and Acts. Luther said that the least valuable book in the New Testament was Revelation, and he found little more value in Hebrews, James, and Jude. What governed Luther's choice was that he regarded as supreme the great doctrine of justification by faith. Luther held that the doctrine of justification by faith was the essence of the gospel, and by it all the rest of the doctrines must be interpreted. It was this that caused Luther to place Matthew, Mark, and Luke on a lower level than the letters of Paul. End of quotation. Now, while we're discussing Luther's views on the various values of the respective books of the New Testament, what would you make of this comment about Luther's view of the book of Revelation? I quote, Luther, at first, in his preface to the translation of the New Testament in 1522, expressed a strong aversion to the book of Revelation, declaring that to him it had every mark of being neither prophetic nor apostolic. Luther cannot see that it was the work of the Holy Spirit. Moreover, he does not like the commands and threats which the writer makes about his book. In Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, and the promise of blessedness to those who keep what is written in it. In Revelation 1, verse 3, and Revelation 22, verse 7, Luther went on to say that no one knows what is being said in the book of Revelation, and there are many nobler books which ought to be preserved and valued. Moreover, many fathers, says Luther, rejected the book of Revelation. And then he said these words, Finally, everyone thinks of it whatever his spirit imparts, my spirit, said Luther, cannot adapt itself to this book, and a sufficient reason why I do not esteem it highly is that Christ is neither taught nor recognized in the book of Revelation, which is what an apostle ought before all things to do. End of quotation from Luther in regard to his view of the book of Revelation and its value in the Christian canon. Now, later, admittedly, in 1534, Luther finds a possibility of Christian usefulness in this book. But he still thought it to be a hidden prophecy, unless interpreted, and upon the interpretation no certainty had been reached after many efforts. Luther remained doubtful about the apostolicity of the book of Revelation, and in 1545 he printed it with Hebrews, James, and Jude as an appendix to his New Testament not numbered in the index. Now, a colleague reformer named Zwingli also regarded Revelation as, quote, not a biblical book, and even John Calvin, with his high view of inspiration, wrote no commentary on 2nd and 3rd John or Revelation. You'll find that information in the Hastings Dictionary of the Bible under the article Revelation, in volume 4, page 241. Now, we should reflect on the remarkable fact that churches have continued to place considerable faith in the spiritual leadership of Calvin and Luther, despite the former's hesitancy about the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, and the latter's apparent failure to 
to heed the warnings of Jesus given in the Revelation. You remember that Luther didn't find anything Christian about the book of Revelation. And yet Jesus said this as the author of the book of Revelation. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Blessed is he who keeps the sayings of the prophecy of the book of Revelation. Blessed is he who reads and they who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written in it because the time is at hand. That was a quotation from Revelation chapter 22 verses 18 and 19, and also Revelation 1, verse 3. Now this hardly sounds as if the book of Revelation could be relegated to an appendix where Luther placed it in his own Bible. He also said, and I remind you of these words, that Christ is neither taught nor recognized in the book of Revelation. Now these matters ought certainly to be food for thought for all students of the Bible and for all Protestants. Have we in fact substituted another papal authority for the one that Luther abandoned? How far would a Christian evangelical authority today go if he was willing to relegate the book of Revelation to an appendix and call the book of James a letter of straw? We invite you to ponder these great issues about the gospel and join us again as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.